quote Maynard from Tool at the start of their uh, fantastic song from 10,000 Days, Rosetta, Rosetta Stoned. Picture this, if you will. Story time for me. Uh, I'm, how old am I? 18, 19, just out of high school, starting to think like, hey, you know what? I'm on my own now. I can do this kind of thing. I can have my own gym membership. I got a job. I can do this. I've been a fan of bodybuilding since I was 12 and was old enough to know what it is. I'm going to do this. What now, at the ripe old age of what is going to be 47 next weekend, would I go back and tell that 18-year-old idiot what would I tell him to save him potentially decades of grief and agony and heartache other than don't marry that girl or that one? Those would be big, important tips that would probably supersede anything related to bodybuilding. But if we're going to keep it firmly in the world of bodybuilding, what would I tell that young idiot? What would I go back and tell him? We're going to dig into that today. We're also going to talk about a few random things that keep popping up in, I would say, like more beginner level conversations, which is great. Nothing wrong with that. Um, But it just shows like uh, sometimes you just need a little perspective shift and sometimes you might have the wrong ideas about some stuff. So kind of all variations on a theme here, but we're going to cover all that. So come along for the ride with me. My name is Darren Star. This is The Drop Set, episode 245. And now, coming at you from the five-star physique studio in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is The Drop Set. With your host, Darren Starr. busy checking my phone um forgot you were there um yeah so uh hi everybody how you doing um darren star here on my microphone stand i moved it and now i have to like come it doesn't want to stay up that's what she said um yeah see what, what is it doing here like it's got all these kind of knobs and stuff that i can maybe if i can get it to okay that loosened it I don't know. This is going to be a recurring gag on this episode here. Like the microphone's going to keep like getting limp away from me or something. It's probably a metaphor for a lot of things. I don't know. Anyway, um, it's episode 245. Thank you for joining me here. We are on all podcast streaming platforms. We are back on YouTube as well, and we are back here to stay. I will save you all the long, boring back and forth that's gone on in my head to get there, but podcast episodes will be on YouTube going forward. They will remain largely audio only, so put it on the background, let it play on your tablet, run it through your headphones, whatever. There's not going to be a lot to look at here, <laughs> just just this. Nobody needs to see this. I did have a lot of people ask, like, what's with all the guitars in the background here, dude? You know you're doing a bodybuilding YouTube channel and podcast, right? To which I say... Yeah, but that's not my sole identity. So, you know, this is, it's a multi-purpose room. This is my home office where I do all my work. It is also my home recording studio where I do all my music production as well. So that's why. So we got a lot of stuff that I want to cover here. Um, if you don't know, if you haven't seen me before, I am Darren Starr. I am a full-time contest prep coach, podcaster, YouTuber, crappy musician, songwriter. That's the stuff that I do for fun. This is the stuff that I do for work. So um, welcome to the studio. It's good to have you here. I am broadcasting uh, from Knoxville, Tennessee. I don't actually need these. It's uncomfortable losing the headphones. Um, Also, I noticed that my audio is recording in mono, so I need to remember, mental note to self, I'm going to clap into the mic. 
That creates a marker in my editing program so that I know, hey, go back and listen to what I was saying there. What was it? And uh, it's going to be like, make sure I copy the audio from the left channel to the right channel so that people are not just hearing this in their left side. I have a technical issue I need to fix. It's beyond my patience to fix it now, so I'm going to work around it. Um, so uh, if you haven't checked, if you don't know me, if you haven't checked out any of my offerings, you can find everything that I do at fivestarphysique.com. You're already listening to the podcast. You found that great. Share these episodes with your friends. I love reviews, ratings, anything like that. Tag me on social media. Instagram at Darren underscore star. Um, I'd love to see it. And uh, thank you for the support. Appreciate it. So a few things, just some beginner stuff here. Um, You know, uh, one of the things is I am a moderator in a Facebook group um, that is for, I, I don't remember what the exact name of the group is, but it's something like first time or aspiring bikini and figure competitors or something like that. I am, I think there's 9,000 people in the group. I am the only guy in there. And so because of that, like, I think a lot of what I say kind of gets like, yeah, whatever, dude. Um, but some people are more receptive to it than others. Um, uh, (laughs) there's, there's a, an extreme risk of mansplaining going on there. But at the same time, it's like, I've been doing this for a long time. These are people that have never been on stage in most cases. So like I have a lot to offer. It doesn't matter that I'm a guy and they're not. So, um, anyway, a lot of these things, they're, they're things that come up in that forum and I just, it helps me reframe because I, I work with a lot of first time and aspiring competitors as well. The people in this group have just a different set of questions. And so it's, it's a good perspective shift for me to see some of this stuff and be like, yeah, like I've known this stuff for a long time. My clients have known this stuff for a long time, but not everybody does. So it's good to just kind of go and I want to cherry pick some of the discussions that come up in that group and bring them up here because it can be useful for everybody, I think. So, um, the first one of these that keeps coming up is, um, people often ask in that group to see like, Hey, I'm, you know, a year out from my first show. Can I see photos of other people who were a year out from their show? I'm looking for some inspiration. I'm like, it usually doesn't work. (laughs) First of all, it's very much as likely to make you feel defeated and worthless as it is inspired, but also everybody's journey is different. And the one thing that I would encourage everyone to do is save the comparisons for the people on the judges panel when you're up on stage. That's the only time it matters. Otherwise, you know, somebody a year out from their first show, they might have not even started training yet. And they might still look great because they have awesome genetics versus you. You've been in the gym for three years trying to drop a bunch of weight. So you're not going to come. You're not. It's going to look totally different. So, you know, it, it, there's just no value. I, I don't think. I don't think there's any value in trying to find uh trying to find other people who are in a similar place as you because the backstory that got them to that place is always going to be radically different. Like there are no two stories from any individuals who have ever stepped on stage that are the same. Uh, everybody, you know, again, I was a year out from my first show. I happened to be 58 years old and I competed when I was 59, but here's me a year out versus somebody who is 20, no offense to the 20 year olds out there who hasn't really faced a lot of, of physical adversity, hasn't had to deal with weight problems or anything like that maybe, you know, who knows? Um, it's just, it's totally different stories. So I think seeking out those kind of comparisons is a problem. And so I discourage that. Um, whenever I see posts like that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't shit on everybody's parade. That is kind of what I tend to do as a professional. <laughs> I feel like I'm a, I feel like I'm a professional balloon burster in some ways. Um, just cause a lot of what I do is to try and bring people down to planet earth a little bit. Cause sometimes they start getting off in the clouds a little and it's like, bring it back down. Um, but, uh, 
I will always say like, just be mindful that, you know, not everything you see here, like context matters and the context isn't always going to be provided or evident, um, in the, in the photos or the responses that you get from people. So watch out for that. Um, Another one, somebody asked, are sleep issues common on prep? <laughs> to which I would say not having sleep issues would be uncommon on prep. Like at some point, there are so many body uh, systems that become dysfunctional during prep because you are trying to do something that puts the body in a state that it is not accustomed to being in. And it's very weird. It's unnatural. And it doesn't want to be there. And so the body will give you signals <laughs> to, to tell you like, hey, change something because this sucks. Now, to be clear, this is not universal by any stretch of the imagination. Um, for one, like I don't experience any kind of sleep dysfunction on prep because it is like sleep is one of my God-given talents. Honestly, it's sleep and it's remembering people's names. Th those are my two talents for what it's worth. Now, I think at the lottery that handed out those God-given talents, I think I got the short end of the stick. Although being a professional sleeper does have some benefits. Like, unfortunately, it has some drawbacks. Like, it's hard for me to take long road trips when I'm driving because it's hard for me to stay awake. <laughs> so it's a, it's a blessing and a curse. I never have issues with sleep on prep. One issue that I have, though, is... I will always have some kind of acid reflux or heartburn um, as prep goes on. And it's just a result of cumulative body stress that builds up. Um, and that's just how it manifests itself. Um, for other people, it could be like random cramps that show up for no reason, just weird things. So um, uh, hunger signaling is another one um, that happens that's very common during prep. So it's kind of like, you know, do you get hungry during prep? Well, yeah, duh. All right, cool. Well, do you have sleep issues during prep? It's not quite the same level of duh, but it's like, yeah, it's not uncommon. So, um, and it's, it's kind of counterintuitive because you're doing more, you're eating less, you should be tired. You are tired, but you have trouble falling asleep just because the body systems are out of whack. Um, and that is one of those things that we see become dysfunctional in prep. And it's one of the reasons also why, um, after, your show, you're not necessarily like there is this myth of the post-show rebound. When post-show, you're really not in a great place to grow and build muscle. You're in a great place to go and put on body fat or to fill out a whole lot, which is not the same as building muscle. So that's why people will often say like, I look better a week after my show. Yeah, but you're about to gain a lot of body fat. So just be on the lookout for that. So, um, post-show is not a great time to rebound hormonally everything's out of whack everything's dysfunctional um you have you know significant energy imbalances that have to be restored if your sleep has been dysfunctional you're not recovered enough to be able to to grow properly or anything like that so what you want to do and the, the key to kind of reversing those adaptations post-show is to just allow yourself to put on some weight that's what it comes down to but do so in a controlled manner also if you're putting on 15 pounds in a week I mean, you're, you're going to get over that dysfunctional prep stage, but you're going to end up causing some other dysfunctions due to rapid weight gain. So you want to chill out a little bit on that and not go too crazy with it. Um, somebody else um, w w had um, posted to the group and said that they, were, uh, they had come to the conclusion, um, and I didn't dispute this at all, because um, it seemed like they had, uh, they'd gone through a pretty, pretty good process to arrive at this conclusion, but that a carnivore diet was the best fit for them because of digestive issues that they were working through and food restrictions. And so they found that, that carnivore was the best plan for them. And uh, I'm like, great. You know, I work with a couple of clients that fit that bill as well. Um, it 
it's not common. Um, and so a lot of people will want to do carnivore, but I, I firmly believe that if you do not have a good reason to do it, it is a bad fit. It is not a good program um, for most people simply because it does leave out micronutrients or entire macronutrient groups um, that you can really benefit from and that we really want to have in place. So unless you need to do it for some kind of gastrointestinal slash medical reason, it's never really the best fit. Now, those people are outliers. Um, it's not common, but they are out there. Like I said, I work with a couple of them. Um, and so this this person, I think, had come to the conclusion, and I, I didn't dispute it. I think it's probably accurate that just based on what she said, that uh, that she fell into that category too. Cool. So what she the, the mistake, though, and, and what I took some issue with is she was looking for a coach who specializes in carnivore diets. And I'm like, well, you know, I wouldn't say I specialize in it, but I do it. It's like any other diet. You just have to know what the limitations are and you have to understand what energy needs are. It's just, you know, when I'm programming, I like to keep carbs within a certain range. And instead, we're just going to tank that down to zero, basically. And we're going to make sure that we get our fats from appropriate sources um, and avoid uh, 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 protein sources that don't fit within the, the framework or the spec of that, too. Um, and so, you know, I'm never going to pitch myself hard to be a coach for anybody. Like that's one of the benefits in that group. Um, I, I've maybe had one or two clients come to me from that group. Uh, it's pretty uncommon though. Um, just because, you know, I don't really pitch myself there. So like, I'm not making a hard pitch like, Hey, you should hire me. It's just like, I'm a coach. I work with carnivore and she's like, that's all well and good, but I'm really looking for somebody who advocates for this approach. I'm like, that's where you're wrong because what you should be looking for in a coach. And I, I said this, I'm like, what you should be looking for in a coach is somebody who has a good nutritional foundation and if somebody is advocating for one particular diet that is extremely restrictive and has a pretty substantial set of issues that can come with it, you don't really have a coach who has a good foundation in nutrition. What you have is a propagandist, which is not who you want to hire as a coach. So I don't know what that person did. They didn't hire me. I'm fine with that. Um, but I would just be cautious. Like you don't want to find a carnivore advocate for a coach or a keto advocate for a coach. Like you want a coach that can work with those things, but is not necessarily going to push you in one path. It's like, this is what I do because I have decided for some reason that this is the correct path for everybody. That is a coach that's not listening to the needs of their client. And as we'll get to later, there are a lot of ways to arrive at a path for success. And you want a coach who is open-minded. It's going to help you find that path rather than try to fit everybody into the same box. I think that's a huge mistake. It's a big problem with the coaching industry that I think is becoming among established coaches less of a problem now. Like there used to be a whole range of coaches that are like, keto is what I do. That's it. And I think there's less of that now. It's still out there for sure. Um, and I'm sure there are coaches who are carnivore advocates. But again, I wouldn't want to hire somebody like that. Even if I was carnivore, I want to hire somebody who understands the principles of it and knows how to program around that for me, um, but also understands that I'm a special case. And I don't want somebody that only works with special cases necessarily. So, but somebody that can, you know, has that well-rounded background. Um, this is one of the big ones. This is one of the big ones. Um, it's a wild card question. Can I compete if fill in the blank? Um, and the answer universally is yes. Now you can compete if you arrive at a bodybuilding show off the street and just realize, Oh, there's a show happening here today. I'm going to go in and register and pay the late fee and step up on stage. I don't have any posing suit or anything like that. I'll just go up in my, I mean, you could go and embarrass yourself like that if you want. So can you compete? 
you can compete. Like the only prerequisite for competing is paying the entry fee and having your membership card. That's it. You don't have to do anything else. Now, probably not going to be a great experience. <laughs> and but we've all seen the photos of people who have done that, <laughs> or or who look like they have done that, right? We've seen those photos before. So, um, can you compete? Absolutely. Now, the next question would be: Can you be competitive if fill in the blank? Yes. Absolutely. Those fill in the blank things I'm talking about are things like injury, loose skin, tattoos is one that still comes up for some reason. Can I compete if I have a lot of tattoos? I'm like, you realize that I in front of this camera right here might be the last human being on earth that doesn't have any tattoos, right? Like I'm pretty sure everybody has one. Some people have a ton. I worked with one guy, Rob, miss you dude. He's still around. I just haven't worked with him in a while. Um, who literally like Outside of his face and hands, every square inch was covered in ink to the point where it was really difficult to see what kind of progress we were making in his picks because everything was inked up. Everything. Every square inch. <laughs> so, and uh, he did he did fine at shows. Like, it was a challenge to evaluate his progress picks because of that. But, uh, you know, I've got clients now that are, that are quite inked up as well. Uh, it's just incredibly common. And yeah, and some people will try to do like a tattoo cover up um, with some product before they go on stage. That is hardly necessary. If you really want your physique to shine through and you don't want the distraction of that being the focal point, then yeah, you can do that, but it's certainly certainly not a requirement. Um, also like scarring. Um, you know, I have a big asymmetry here due to a previous injury. Like this leg is noticeably smaller than the other one. Can I still compete? Can I still be competitive? You can, that is a limiting factor that's going to make things difficult. But if you're dominant everywhere else, if there's a little bit of an asymmetry in one spot that can still be enough to do really well in a show. Now, will you turn pro in any of those circumstances is another question. Like, um, you know, injuries are ridiculously easy to overcome. This seems to be one of the things that really gives people the most pause. Like, you know, I have bad knees. Can I still compete? Well, you know, your legs are a little undersized. Your goal, you said you want to compete in men's bodybuilding um, and you can't squat or do any compound exercises. I'm going to say probably no. Like, let's do men's physique instead. So we need to change the equation a little bit. There's no reason you can't compete. It's just, you know, we need to grow your legs. Your leg training is severely limited because of existing knee injuries. It's probably not in the cards. And trying to push against that is probably just going to make things worse. So let's just accept the fact that we'll do some some token work for legs, but put the priority on upper body and men's physique is the, the avenue for you. That avenue exists. Take it. Take it. You're the guy it was made for. So, um Similarly, talking about like body structure, like I have wider hips, you know, is this going to work? Well, you know, bikini might not be the best fit for you, but there are other other um, options that are. Or like, uh, you know, I think I have too much muscle or not enough muscle for this division. Okay, well, what might you be a better fit in? Um, and can you convince yourself to like that? Um, like some people might not really want to do bikini, but they just don't have enough muscle in their frame to move up to figure or wellness. Um, but they don't like the presentation of bikini. Well, what's easier? Is it going to be getting over your dislike of that presentation for the category, or is it going to be building the muscle to be more competitive in wellness or figure? There isn't a right or a wrong answer on that. Can you still compete? Absolutely. Can you still be competitive? On some level, 100%. Absolutely, yes. Um, but uh, you might need to readjust expectations. You might need to readjust your timeline. 
a little bit. Um, other things like, you know, loose skin, scarring, etc. cetera. Um, here's the thing, like in an open category where you're competing with a bunch of 20 year olds, if you've been through a lot, you're in your forties, you've got some body stuff going on. That's just evidence of a life lived. Like it is a competitive disadvantage, which is one reason why the master's categories exist. Now, not everybody in those master's categories is going to be dealing with that same kind of adversity or anything like that. But it's pretty common. And if you bring a dominant physique in other ways, you can very easily look past a lot of that stuff. Also depends on who else shows up, right? So if you are in a group of five and you really bring it, you've got a little bit of loose skin around the midsection, but you're like, man, I'm really confident in my package. Like, you know, looking by judging standards, like I feel really good about this. And you show up there and the other four women on stage all missed their pro card by one spot last year. And they're just at this show to try and requalify and they all pick the same show. It's like, well, you know, you just ran into a buzzsaw. So you might, you might take fifth there potentially doesn't mean that you aren't competitive. So you just have no control over who else shows up. So you've got to keep that in mind too. But can you compete if fill in the blank happens? hundred percent. Always, always. Yes. Um, as long as you're comfortable with potentially rearranging your expectations a little bit. Um, Another thing here is, um, and this comes up from a lot of experience that I have in working with clients and also questions that come up in this forum and just things that I see elsewhere on the interwebs, et cetera, would be um, training splits. And like, how long should I be on a training split? And, you know, should I be changing it every week, every four weeks, every eight weeks? How do I know when it's time? Um, And I think one of the things that I like to get people thinking about here is the more consistent you are with your training, the better up to a point. Um, The goal would be to keep the same workout split in place for as long as possible as long as it remains productive and as long as it feels good. There does get to be a point where the just the sheer novelty of bringing in something new kind of wins out. Now, that's probably not at a four or a five-week point in, a, in an existing training split. It's going to be a little bit longer than that, more than likely. Um, but you want to be tracking your lifts. You want to be implementing progressive overload so that everything is, you know, you're forcing yourself to increase performance week over week. Um, not necessarily in everything. Like you're not fighting the logbook and looking to increase everything. But if you're strategically making increases on like primary lifts um, on a given day from week to week, that that's great. So that shows that you're making progress. That shows that you're putting in enough work to force the body to adapt. And this is assuming also like we're in a growth phase. If we're in a, a deficit and we're trying to lean out, you want performance that's going to encourage the lean tissue to stay around so that we're not losing muscle. And sometimes that can just be maintaining. It depends on what your diet's doing, what your other output like cardio is looking like as well. So um, it could be, you know, a number of factors that contribute to that. It's hard to say for sure. Um, But um, how do you know when to change it out? When, when, like I'm still progressing, but could there be some benefit in just bringing in something new for, um, you know, some, some fresh blood? into the, into the training program? And the answer is possibly. Um, but also like we want to keep making progress on those main lifts. That's really the key thing here. And so if you're still progressing on those, good, keep them in. Now, also you don't have to do a wholesale shakeup of your training split and throw everything away just because you're bringing in new stuff. Like you could just retire a couple of exercises that feel like they've kind of run their course. You're like, you're not progressing on these. You don't feel particularly like super over engaged with them anyway. Like, yeah, there's some stimulus there, but 
like it really wears me out more than it feels like it should. Like the uh, stimulus to fatigue ratio is a little bit skewed. Um, or maybe you just don't connect well with it. You've been working and working. You've been trying to get that deeper connection with it and it's just not there. Like, yeah, so retire that movement and bring in something new. Um, keep the rest of the workout framework as it is. The only trick is this does make it kind of difficult to maintain efficient logging um, without turning your logbook just into an absolute nightmare. So that's a challenge that you have to work around. I personally don't have a good solution for that, which um, is why I will start like writing on the backs of logbook pages. Like, hope cross this exercise out. This one's no longer in place. Next page for more, you know, and then I'm writing on the back of the page and plugging in notes. It gets to be a little bit of a mess to read, but I can, I can kind of follow along because I wrote it. So, um, but there can be some value in bringing in something new just because it's new. Um, but your goal should be to maintain as much consistency in your training program as possible long-term. Um, Exceptions to that um, would be if a movement either becomes unproductive or if it starts to feel injurious in some way, like uh, this movement was fine, but now I've progressed on it to the point where now, you know, it's bothering my shoulder a little bit. That's a good sign that you want to back off. The, another thing that you could do here, two things that you could do is you could always back off the weight and reset because one thing that you want to make sure that you're doing is that you've standardized your form and that you know what a rep of an exercise is supposed to look like and feel like. And while the weight goes up, that standardized form doesn't change. If that changes, it means you're not doing the same exercise anymore and you've, you've changed the script. So stick with the same script. Um, but uh, you can back off the weight and reset the movement, if, especially if, you're, if you feel yourself kind of drifting away from what that standardized form should look like. Understanding that if you video yourself in the gym, it's a lot easier to make those kind of de determinations. Um, and the other thing that you can do is swap out a, an exercise for something that's a similar movement pattern. So this might be like, oh, I'm doing a machine chest press and like, man, I feel like this thing's kind of run its course, but the rest of the workout still feels pretty good, right? Like I don't want to change anything else yet. Well, is there a different chest press machine? Can we just change the machinery involved? Do a barbell, do a dumbbell, something like that. So you're keeping the same movement pattern in place, but you reset the movement. So now you're not doing this plate loaded machine anymore, but you're doing a dumbbell exercise, same movement pattern, different weight system. So the numbers aren't going to be a direct translation. So you get a, you get a chance to kind of reset progressive overload at that point that can work as well. So there you're changing the exercise, but you're keeping the same articulations, the same movement patterns. So there's still some degree of continuity in there too. So, all right. So remember 18 year old dumbass version of me in the gym. What do I wish that I knew before I started training? Um, so I have, I have a list of five things here. Um, and these are things that if I could go back and tell myself this stuff, probably would have saved myself a little bit of, I was going to say heartache, but probably not heartache, some frustration, <laughs> maybe some heartache. Again, that would be, don't marry that girl. That That's what, if I could go back and tell myself anything, it would be that. And it would also be, uh, invest in Facebook probably. Um, or, you know, Amazon, that's probably a better bet. Um, so the, the first thing that I would tell myself is that when it comes to bodybuilding, um, the biggest factor in your success in bodybuilding is genetics. Um, and there's only so much you can fight that. Now it's a fight worth fighting, but you've got to understand like, you know, some, some people are genetically predisposed to become monsters and some people are not. And it doesn't matter how much gear you run. If you don't have the genetics for it, you're just not going to be 280 pounds lean. And the thing is a very few people have the genetics for that. So, um, you need to reset those expectations a little bit and just understand that your journey is your journey. 
work hard, um, figure out where your risk stratification lies, what you're willing to do, if you're going to stay natural, if you're going to delve into the enhanced realm, you know, how aggressive are you willing to be with that? You have to have a thorough and proper understanding of the risks, but understand that genetics are still a thing. So, and that, that applies to people who are running cycles as well. Like, you know, one genetic component there is how sensitive your receptors are to what you're taking. And some people are just hypersensitive to it and others much less so. So there are, there's no shortage of people in the world who are running a lot of gear and look like naturals. So, um, again, genetics, genetics are the biggest determining factor. So if we have a pie chart, um, that is all of the made up of all the things that determine your overall progress, there's going to be several things on there. It's not three things. There's probably eight or nine different things on that. Genetics will be the biggest chunk of the pie. It's not 60% or anything like that, but it's a plurality. It, it's, it's the biggest piece of the pie for sure. So, um, I saw somebody who posted a picture of who was it? Sean Clarita, something like that. My have been him um and uh, i'm gonna make myself look like an idiot here sean clarita was he won the 212 olympia this last year i think <laughs> but it was a picture of him like in his high school wrestling team looking kind of small and stickish versus him at the olympia and the caption was something like don't tell me it's all genetics i'm like well first of all that dude was a wrestler he was not a bodybuilder and he still had what was clearly like a lean and muscular physique. So dude had genetics. Yeah. Um, but also genetics aren't, it's genetics is not about like, do you look like a bodybuilder before you've started training? But you can see like some people where, you know, they post before and after photos and you can tell like, this is before I started training. Like well, before you started training, you still clearly have muscle on your frame. Like, those are genetics. Like it's not the kind where people are like, wow, you look like a huge bodybuilder, but you can tell like, Oh, the framework is there. Right. Um, and sometimes it's not there, but they blow up. And like, if somebody blows up like that, like they are a hyper responder to gear. That's, that's what it is not to diminish the hard work that goes along with it as well. But until you coach a lot of people like I have, you just don't understand how poor some people's genetics are. Um, and you just, you need to be able to recognize those people and just understand like we need to adjust the rule set here a little bit. We need to make sure that we have appropriate expectations. Um, like, you know, the Olympia isn't in your future. <laughs> so, um, because you, know, you work with people who work really hard, they, they put in the work, they put in, maybe they're naturals, maybe they're not, but either way, like they don't look like an elite natural level physique. They don't look like an elite enhanced level physique. They're doing all the right things. It's the genetic response to everything. That's the biggest determining factor. That's number one. Number one that I would go back and tell my idiot self. Number two is that it always takes longer than you think. And going back to number one, there are genetic outliers to this. And going back to the first point in the podcast today, everything's a circle. Time is a flat circle. What did they say? That was in True Detective, right? Yeah. Um, so we just finished season four. It was excellent. Um, don't make, don't, don't rely on comparisons of other people. You know, like somebody will be like, here's my, you know, like, uh, I don't want to butcher her name, but the physique Olympia winner, Natalia, um, can I just call her Natalia C rather than trying to butcher her last name? I'm going to save myself the embarrassment of that and just go with that. Like you look at her at 18 and she already looks pretty freaky, right? 
You look at her at 20, she's like double the size. You look at her at 22, she's like double the size again. Like that is a genetic outlier. Yes, she is putting in hard work. Plenty of people put in hard work and don't get results like that. She is an outlier. Do not compare yourself to that. It takes longer than that. It does. It does. I'm sorry. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, somebody that I, I had on the podcast recently, Autumn Cleveland. Great interview, by the way. Um, check out her posing course. Um, she posted her, what was it, 15-year transformation, something like that. And that wasn't like before she started lifting. That was her as a teen. I might be wrong on that number. It might have been longer than that. It might have been 18 or 20. I don't remember. But it was like her on stage at her first show and then her on stage at her most recent Olympia. And it's like, yeah, and you like, well, when you think about it taking that long, like that's a lot of progress. But, you know that's reasonable. That's not a genetic outlier. I would still argue that autumn has great genetics. Um, but again, genetics don't do anything without the hard work. So when I say that somebody has great genetics, it's not a way to piss on their effort or anything like that. It's just saying that without that, they wouldn't be where they are. Right. So, um, but like that is something where it's like, yeah, that's a 15 year transformation. That's a long process. That's a lot of sucking it up and sticking with it and grinding out day in, day out. That's what you should expect when you start this. So go into it. Don't expect an instant gratification. To be clear, I wasn't because I was also well aware that I had no clue what I was doing. Um, but uh, you've got to go into it expecting to play the long game. Don't expect results in six weeks. And this runs counter to everything that we see in the industry today with coaches and their 12-week transformation programs and all this bullshit. Forget that. If you're serious about really seeing out your potential in bodybuilding, it's measured in years, possibly decades, not weeks or months. Number three on this list. This is one of my favorites. How long have I been going here? My throat tells me that I've been going for an hour and a half. I did have a Zoom call right before this, so I'm a little, hold on, a little parched. Today's episode brought to you by Monster Ultra Black. Hard to find in stores. Ordered from Amazon. Should have invested in Amazon. It's one of the better ones, by the way. Um, I love this one. The programming details aren't nearly as important as you think. So this goes back to like my days as a teenager, like going through Flex and Muscle and Fitness magazine and all this stuff and reading the workout programs from all these guys. And... Uh, like taking notes, like, oh, four sets of this, okay, all right, oh, we do this because this gets a, you know, you supinate this curl, you get a better contraction, oh, okay, that, that builds the peak, okay, cool, oh, yeah, 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 okay, got it, taking notes, taking notes, cool, um, none of that shit matters, okay, like, whatever you do, this goes back to a continuing ed course that I had 13 years ago, with an NFL strength and conditioning coach, Mark Asanovich. I remember his name. I told you, God-given talent, names. I remember his face. I remember his patterns of speech. Like, it was a memorable talk. It was only a couple hours, but I, I left that with some good stuff. And one of the things that he wrote down, he wrote it down on a whiteboard that he had, and he kind of yelled it at us a little bit as well, is that everything works if you work intensely. And that is very true. And by intensely, I mean like, proper mechanics, proper muscle engagement, good postural setup before the movement starts, proper cues, appropriate weight selection that's challenging but doable correctly. Um, if you do that stuff and you just program not stupidly, like I'm going to do 20 sets of squats today. Well, 
that might do something, but it's probably not going to do what a good program would do. Um, like a little bit more exercise variety might be good. Most people aren't going to get through a set of 20 squats in a workout and enjoy that or make it through it and ever want to go back into the gym again. So, um, but the details of like, oh, I start with this movement and then I go to this movement and then I do this and then I bring in this for this. It's like, stop it, stop it. And this is coming from me as a a coach, as a guy who sells workout programs on his website, link below. Right. Um, and, and the reason why those programs exist and why I write programs as a coach is because having some structure or framework that you don't have to come up with creatively to follow is a valuable thing. And having somebody else write a workout for you so you're not just playing favorites and following along with whatever you want to do, but doing the shit that somebody else thinks that you should probably do. Hey, I haven't heard of this exercise before. What is this? It's not the most novel thing in the world, but I haven't done this before. You get exposed to new stuff. You try some new sets and rest schemes. So you try some stuff and try it on and see how it works for you. Um, it's not necessary for everything to be different all the time. There's no magic formula. Like you have to do this. This is the rep range that works. I do everything in a six to eight rep range. Well, that's great. Have you tried a 10 to 12 or a 12 to 15 rep range? Cause those work too. Um, and if you get used to doing one thing, you should probably try something different, experiment a little bit, you know, break out of your comfort zone. If you find yourself always doing the same thing, you're going to have a physique that looks like it always does the same thing. Like you need a little bit of programming variety, but a lot of those details really don't matter as much as you might think. Um, and the other thing is like, you know, you look at these workouts that were printed in the magazines and they make it seem like this is the workout that this person does all the time. And it's just not the case. So, um, variety is good. As we said before, progressive overload. So stick with a workout for a, a, as long a period of time as you can manage, but it does have to change. And when you do change it, often just changing the order of some exercises that are in there are enough to shake it up so that some of the variables get adjusted. Your progressive overload gets shot. And now you've got to kind of do a little bit of a reset on things like, Oh, if I run this workout in reverse order, that's a little bit of a different stimulus. I save the heavy compound movement for last. That's one of those things I wouldn't necessarily make a habit of, but periodically that can be an interesting wrench to throw into things. So it it pulls you out of the typical patterns, right? Um, But again, those details are largely overrated. Like work intensely and um, execute everything with the highest level of quality you possibly can. Fourth thing on this list, sorry. Fourth thing behind the microphone doesn't work so well. there is no magic diet or protocol. Um, kind of like what we were talking about with carnivore and keto. If you get someone who advocates for just one thing and that's what they specialize in as a very myopic view, um, and not really what I'd be looking for in a coach. So, um, most things will work in some way for most people. So what you want to do on the dietary side of things, this is what I'm talking about here, um, is make sure that your protein is set at a reasonable threshold. Now, there, there's a good range for that. Like if you're in the 1 to 1.2 or 1.3 grams per pound of body weight, that is typically a great place to be. There are reasons, probably not too many reasons why you might want to go under that. There are some reasons why you might want to go over that in terms of feeling a little bit more full on higher protein. Um, like it might be fair to sacrifice some carbs to increase protein if you're really starving but need to keep your calories at the same level. Similarly, it might be good to drop down on protein a little bit away from the upper end of that threshold and replace it with carbs if your training performance is tanking because the carbs will have a more direct impact on that. So there's a lot of reasons why you might want 
want to fluctuate just a little bit, but there's a generally accepted range where you want that. There's generally a, a reasonable range where carbs are and generally a reasonable range where fats are. And then it's good to get a good mix of fats from different sources as well. But you could go higher carb, lower fat. You could go higher fat, lower carb. Both of those are valid. And ultimately, um, the key differentiating factor there is personal preference. Um, ultimately it all comes down to, you know, the, the math of calories in versus calories out. Um, that's the thing that we need to do. We need to watch your expenditure. We need to watch your intake. We need to make sure your proteins at a good threshold. We need to make sure that your diet is set up for sustainability, adherence, performance. And beyond that, if we do it, then, you know, whatever carbs and fats happen to do, like, eh, you know, it's fine. Um, what I don't like to do with clients is give them a protein target and a calorie target and say, let the carbs and fats fall where they may. You can do different stuff every day just because then we don't really have an idea of like, well, what works best, right? So instead, what I might say is here are your macros, proteins, carbs, fats. And then uh, if there's some feedback, like, man, I'm really kind of craving some fattier stuff. Can we trade some carbs for fats? Yeah, let's do it. Let's see how you feel. Like, is it just a craving or is there some kind of change in outcome? Like, do you perform better? Do you sleep better? Do you recover better if that happens? Does your GI performance improve? Was your stomach bothering you and now it's not? So those are things to consider that's way more important than thinking that there is some kind of magical ratio that has to happen or that high carb is always the solution or that low carb is always the solution. It's just not the case. Um, and personal preference and, you know, performance, whether it's gym performance, GI performance, sleep performance, etc. Um, all of those things matter. All of those things matter more so than just sticking with the dogmatic, like this is what I think should work approach. Because if you come to it with an approach like that, what you will find is, you know, regardless of how much you want something to work, sometimes it just won't, it won't be the right solution for that person. And so a good coach needs to adapt to that. Um, and speaking of point five, and this is going to seem extremely self-serving, um, and there's no way around it. So I will just accept that and, uh, take your, take your hate as it comes. Hire a coach. Um, this is something that I waited years and years and years to do. When I finally did hire a coach, it was the worst possible choice I could have made just because he was the biggest guy in the gym <laughs> and, and he didn't know shit. He was a genetic outlier. He was big just because he was dumb, he worked hard, and he didn't know shit about shit. Um, and not the kind of guy who was really qualified to be coaching anybody else. Um, I wouldn't say he was a coach so much as like I, I got advice from him. And ultimately what I kind of learned is like, this guy isn't that smart. Like I don't really think he knows all that much. Which got me thinking about it and <laughs> kind of started me down this path. So... Um, hire a coach and do your research, ask around, you know, uh, when I had him, that was before, did I mention I'm having a birthday next weekend? 47, 40 fucking seven. <sighs> Try not to have a midlife crisis while recording this podcast. Trying and failing. We're going to move on. When I had him as my coach advisor or whatever, this was before the days of social media. Like, I think Facebook was new at that point, but you know, not every coach in the world had an Instagram page that just stuff didn't just didn't exist yet. So, um, it, uh, it, it was, if you didn't have a coach that lived around you, it was hard to find one. 
it, it was it was very hard to find one. Um, you could go on the internet and search, um, but again, you were limited to like who's got a website. And you know, bodybuilding coaches in the early two thousands were not known for their technical prowess in building a website. And so there just wasn't a lot available, um, honestly. So nowadays. It's the, the it's a different problem now where we are faced with, you know, too many choices. Like I've got seven coaches here that I think all look competent. Who do I pick? And so you look at, you know, hopefully you watch things like this and you watch a podcast and you're like, oh, this guy kind of seems like he knows what he's talking about, but he really needs to like comb his hair before he comes on the podcast. And he seems to care more about guitars than bodybuilding. Um, and I don't know, like his microphone, um, pop filter looks like it needs to be replaced. So I don't know that I really trust him too much. If he can't replace a $2 pop filter, how's he going to manage a load of clients to which I say point taken, this mic is getting replaced soon. So, um, but you know, you've got so many choices these days. Um, it's just, it's coaching selection overload and it can be hard to know like who's competent and who isn't. And um, so the thing to do is, you know, you can look at befores and afters. Those are always going to be skewed. You have to look at, you know, um, does this coach work with people in person, online, or both? Um, of the people that they are getting results from, if they work with both, are all of these people that they have shown on their website or in social media just people that they see in person? Because training someone in person and training someone online, very different things. And there are plenty of coaches out there that get great results when they train people in person, can't train translate it to online just because the communication is very different. You have to make a lot of assumptions um, or you will make a lot of assumptions. I don't, but a lot of in-person coaches, if they can't be there training somebody, they're like, well, I hope their training's fine. Eh. Just hope for the best um, and see what happens. Um, assumptions that I'm just not comfortable making, right? So I want to see some training footage. Um, but so you can look at those photos all day long. Ultimately, you need to reach out to people and ask. And, um, I'm always thankful when I get an inquiry from somebody who just found me at random, like they weren't, I, I love referrals from existing clients as well. That's great. But when someone finds me at random and they read through my website and they're like, huh, I want to know more about this guy. And they click the link and they send me an email. Um, I, I dig that because it shows like, Hey, I had some kind of a connection with this person. They saw something there that they liked. So now it's on me to kind of live up to whatever expectations they might have and see if I can help them out. So, um, I, I dig that process. I like that a lot. So uh, something I take seriously, um, this kind of turned into a commercial for me. I didn't intend it to be that. <laughs> there, there are plenty of good coaches out there. There are plenty of lousy coaches out there. What I would do is ask about their process. Um, ask about you know, the, the kind of details that they look for, you know, are they tracking certain things? If so, why or why not? Um, like it's very common for coaches to track circumference measurements. I do not do that. Um, the answer the, the reason why is because if I can't take those measurements myself, I don't know how much I should trust them. Um, cause a tape measure is a very easy thing to fudge by a quarter inch or a half an inch. So, um, I don't rely on those cause I can't take those measurements myself. So I'm looking for other metrics. So, um, but also like, it's good to, ask those kind of questions, know what a coach does or doesn't do, and then see if they can explain their rationale and ask a lot of questions. And if you get really short answers from somebody, and this is the first time that they've responded to you, those answers are only going to get shorter the longer you work with them. So, um, and especially like if you are a beginner, you need somebody who is good in answering those questions, is very patient and is willing to explain it. A lot of coaches, they just want to work with people who already know what they're doing. Like, here's the plan. Here's the shit. Go do it. Shut up. Send me your pictures. And that's fair. 
Um, and those coaches work well with the population of people that they're trying to reach, not somebody that a beginner should hire. So ask those questions and make a good decision, but do hire a coach. I realize that not everybody is in a financial position to do that all the time, but spend as much time working with the coach as you possibly can. Um, because the benefits from that are huge and I could have saved myself 10 years of frustration. Um, now I learned a lot in doing that. And over the course of those 10 years learned enough that I became a good coach myself. So, um, there is that, but for most people, that's not really their objective. I was going to be an engineer and now I'm doing this. Is that better or worse? <sighs> Depends on the discipline of engineering, I think. I was going to do civil. Mechanical, way better than mechanical. Hell yeah. Chemical, oh my God. Electrical, don't even get me started. Civil, civil's where it's at. Might have been okay. But I don't know. Would you want me designing your bridge? Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, so there you go top five things that I wish that I knew when I started. What did you, if you, if you're a more seasoned competitor, what do you wish that you knew when you started? I would be curious to know. So if you're watching this on YouTube, leave it in the comments there. Um, check back next week. Um, we will be in here for episode 246. Um, I have an interview coming up shortly. That might not be next week's episode. It might be the one after that. Um, so stay tuned for that. That is with another coach and competitor. And uh, that's all I got. So thank you for watching and or listening. Um, check out the website, fivestarphysique.com or the dropset.com. We've got some merch up there. If you need to get a t-shirt or something like that, we got those. Um, so thank you for hanging out and we will catch you next week.